Welcome to the Second Chance Podcast, where we explore the deeper inner of the human psyche, find new ways to reinvent and invent ourselves for the better, for the wiser, for the more rational, and the happier and more contented. I had the pleasure of enjoying a I had the pleasure of enjoying a class that a Yale professor gave on YouTube, or was streamed on YouTube, and he did it with a, a co-professor and a small crowd, and his topic was how to prepare for a fascist America. Now, generally speaking, YouTube is geared to the conservative-minded because, first of all, the majority of YouTube users are men. Second of all, the majority of people seeking out intellectual dialogue will lean towards conservative. There's many other factors that make YouTube a conservative platform in some sense. So seeing such a video is kind of a special occasion. Obviously the comments were turned off because having a dialogue about this and especially a hostile territory is not conducive for their own self-image and for frankly, the benefit of society itself. They're in the enemy's territory, and it's not its not a place for them to start a discussion. Although there was much said in the, in the class, the hour, hours plus class. And I watched it in full, although every couple minutes I, I was pulling myself away from that, away from that environment because I didn't want to be influenced or more importantly, I didn't want to be associated or all the polarization that we experienced. I didn't want that. I wanted to be polarized. So therefore I pushed myself to watch it anyway and it, it bothers me now because now I have to face who they are, what they are. They, meaning a Yale social scientist professor, and that crowd and their discussion. And a lot of the cliches came up, like the mass incarceration and, and other such things, comparing America to a communist gulag environment, as well as comparing it to, as they called it, fascist, which is a Nazi regime, although they didn't mention that word. And I'm listening and at some point started enjoying the, the discourse. 
because there was a sort of, sort of simplicity to it. And I'll try to elaborate on that. The simplicity was the the doings of the 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 beautiful minded hearts that were energizing these ideas. And I really think that a lot of them I'm gonna call them them, but part of our society is misguided direction but fundamentally really having good intentions although their intentions are not being expressed in the ultimate good meaning their good is is first dimension and then as it as it goes up in the dimension as it as it expands it loses that good and takes a turn for what I would call evil. And I think all evil does come from that, where there's a good that gets construed, sometimes in order to be a better good, and then somewhere along the line, it loses that connection to the source of good and starts taking a life of its own, which eventually gets to a point of evil but at no point in the assembly line of good to evil is anyone going to call it evil because there's always good intentions or the labeling of good that that deceives us and then finally there's that full-blown evil which it's like whoa where did that come from like the the nazis right i could imagine that 1930 america everybody talks about 1930 germany but 1930 america was like okay there's these people they have ideas right i don't think there was any animosity till the atrocities just you know what were glorified to a point that there was no denial of evil itself. And now that there's an acceptance of evil, how do we find where that evil started and where it ended? And that's the debate that's ongoing up until this day. So the evil itself will always be masked in good even so much as the people uh, perpetuating the evil think it's good and actually come from some sort of good intention. Although as it evolves, the good intention lessens and lessens. So back to this professor. So his big push was the mass incarceration in the United States and huge numbers, powerful statistics. We can't ignore that. That would be foolish to ignore the prison problem in the United States. But taking that, taking those numbers and proposing that somehow we're in a communist regime 
is is taking it one step too far. It's it's coloring it too much. And if you want to take care of a problem, you would like to isolate the components, divide and conquer. Isolate and then conquer what you can because you can't, if you start calling the United States the gulags, then you can't fix the gulags. You can't. There's no opportunity of reframing such a society. And I think at some point, one of the students asked that question. It's like, what are you proposing better? And he kind of softened his arguments, which is amazing to see that there is a dialogue inside of him, inside the professor, and really he's an archetypical standard, inside this this movement where they will consider other ideas and they will understand that life and being is complex where you could be contradictory and that's okay. And he kind of gave a strong argument where he was the first to see Trump's rise, first to see that there was a deep need in the society of America for change, for there was suffering and poverty, and there was nobody giving the answers to that. And he saw that in Trump. So if he can see that, he could also be that. If you could see something, you could be it. So there was a part of him which was like, I am that but I'm not that. And then at some point after his long discussion, proving his allegiance to the awareness of the grander culture than his own world, he, um, he started backing down from that and, you know, reinstating his opinion that, you know, the United States is some sort of mess that can't be fixed in comparison to in in a comparison to the gulags and so on and so forth so to see that shift in in an hour long discussion was amazing to see because you could be a part of that shift as well like you could have that conversation with him where he will enjoy your opinion but there's a caveat here which is that you can't get to his space unless you're in Yale University, unless you're a part of his friends, friendship circle, unless you're an uh, impoverished minority, which he's taken deep compassion for. You can't be an outsider having that discussion with him. But the insider, someone who's earned his respect, how he defines respect, that enjoys the comforts of safe space dialogue will definitely have the opportunity to really sit down and break down the components of, of his worldview and his vision of the future, which is not all critique. Um, his co-op in that, in that discussion she mentioned that a great a great idea where 
she respects the black tradition over the the white tradition mainly because they they have something that the white tradition doesn't have which is they are aware of the inevitable future that will not be as great as the present where we're not living in a bubble and that's so true and so powerful and it's it's a deep deficiency of the would you say the middle class America and the assumption that they're safe from all harm and you can't defend yourself if you assume you're safe you don't know the ways of fighting your enemy when you are in the confines of comfort and protection you could only be a warrior if you know the state of war and you know the inevitable breakdown of societies so that was a that was a wonderful point and i enjoyed hearing it and realized that there's so much that they have to offer but back to his discussion right the mass incarceration so divide and conquer is the really is really the best way of fixing huge societal problems now that is if your goal is to fix societal problems if your goal is just to create a narrative with no end in sight then evil is really gaining reign here you're just playing a game and i don't think life is something to play and i think blood and human lives are serious and they shouldn't be used in this context i think we should be focusing on a solution a true powerful solution so divide and conquer if i'm if you're on my page of divide and conquer then let's divide this out let's break it down mishpat right the the hebrew word for judgment judgment was imposed on each one of these individuals in a fair court with a jury and a system whether that system is corrupt systemically probably actually probably not in reality and just the the fact that there is a system and that there is some sort of deliberation and arguments of both sides is is enough to to prove that there is some sort of justness in each one of these individuals who ends up in incarceration now the real question i would propose is why why are these crimes equaling these punishments now who are you imposing punishments are are you protecting society from these individuals and if i find situations where the crimes will not be imposed on society for example someone who uh someone who did something internally you know uh, the child pornography although detestable it's not a societal problem though you could see it as a societal problem for every individual influences society so if you're going to look 
microscopically, you will find that trend. But I'm talking about true problems in society, the rapes and the homicides. These are problems. So you are locking them up because of society. You're not punishing them. You are protecting society from them. Well, that's one uh, one one uh, approach that we can propose. Another is that we actually punish them because we believe that we need to impose good on evil. If you do propose that and it's a sort of vengeance, then let's ask, are they receiving that as a punishment? Meaning to say, if someone has a culture of being in prison and it's almost more of a safe space for them than society itself, and that's not a punishment. They don't feel punished. They're not receiving the punishment. And then you must seek that which actually imposes a constriction of their their being that that translates to being a punishment so that's what that's the second approach right now the third approach is that even if you have to protect society there is a deeper problem going on which is that if society needs so much protection, then there's a breakdown of society. It's not the it's the individual's problem, but it's also pointing to uh, a massive problem of society where they can't get themselves together to not impose their evil acts on others, taking life and taking um, sexual freedom and autonomy from others. So, should you lock someone up for life if they've murdered somebody? Probably. Although, there's 20 different types of murder, and it's involved in intention, you know, voluntary, um, if it was hired, if it was forced, right? There was, there's so many different levels of homicide as well as rape and as well as other detestable crimes of society. So in the realm of judgment, there shouldn't be no fixing. You don't want to open up your prisons because then you have no barrier for society to just crumble. If this is pointing to a society that's destructing itself, then letting this go will not help that, will only invite future crumblings of society. So... That's just a terrible idea. That's asking for crime to be done. Now, the argument that if you don't lock people up, if you don't take away their freedom, they won't go to crime, 
that is true, that is possible, although we don't, we shouldn't approach it from that area. There is actual problem. There's a problem in society that needs tending to. Letting people free is not tending to that problem. It might alleviate some of the problem, but the problem is still there. And there should be other factions of government that approach this and truly study this with unbiasedness to tackle crime itself, to tackle evil itself. For each person that murders has 20 friends, 150 acquaintances, and another 150 family members distant and far. So they're, they're circled within society. Yet, those 100 acquaintances all are befriending the evil within that murderer. So they all carry that evil within them. And they all have 100 acquaintances. So you see that one murder is not one murder, but rather pointing to an evil amongst thousands. And a hundred murders points to an evil amongst millions. So there is a problem of evil and good in society, not a problem of judgment. Judgment is the last line of defense, not the first line. We don't fix society with judgment. Generally speaking, we don't want to end up in court ever in our lives. That's not a good thing to, to be a court-like environment. We want to solve things between man and man and woman and woman and woman and man and man and woman. We want to have a civil structure where there's no need for the policing and the, the imposition of, of government control. And those who argue that somehow the government's imposing it, whether there's a need or not, do not truly empathize with the with the people on the on the back people that are receiving the victims of these crimes. They're not recognizing the pain, the destruction, the evil that surrounds such things. They are only looking from a bird's eye view. They haven't visited in their minds, they haven't visited the, the situation on the ground, the situation of one victim of such experiences, the family of such experiences, and so on and so forth. They are not seeing a balanced scale. They're only seeing it from the numbers, the, the inhuman study of the situation. Now, you you might be able to extract data and assume things, but you can't propose solutions to real-life problems without being a part of that real-life system. You won't even know where to go. It will be that foolish. Because all you have is numbers in front of you. 
You need intuition. You need to be on the ground. You need to be street smart. You need to know the, the trends of the market. To walk with the people. To dance when they dance and cry when they cry. And then you'll know. Just proposing from the, the high ground of Yale University is, is not enough. You need to, if you want to actually solve things, that is. If you want to just propose and signal your virtues, then that's a great place to be. For there's always applaud and no booing. So back to the professor. He made another good point. He said, I don't like the word social scientist. It's not a science. It's not a real science. It's just a study of people and so on and so forth. And that, that's true too. We don't want to propositionalize human flourishing human beings the value of the specific individual so I watch him as he talks and seeing how he flows in and out of two worlds the rational and the the propositional and I think that what it comes down to is that he's unaware, he's unaware that what he's thinking about, his ideas are truly great till it hits the road, till it really um, pans out in true color. And I think this is where he's, He's lacking in his awareness of his mouth versus the the bigger, badder world. I think this is true about all these ideas. They're so good. They're so amazing. Like having the environment fresher and cleaner and more uh, sustainable. And that is that is beautiful. Who wouldn't want something like that? But then it's putting it on the ground. Like, what are you sacrificing? What what will come about in your future world? What costs will, will be inevitable from your actions, from your propositions? And then when you study it deeply and see the obsession of, for instance, him, the mass incarceration or for the environmentalist, the environment, the obsession, meaning the lifelong work, the, they can't let their eyes from that, from that, from that view, from that experience, you realize that it is not that they care about the environment or the mass incarceration, but they are looking to break down all that is all that is good because if you start breaking down judgments in court or you start breaking down 
the necessities of life and the environment or the the need for human survival meaning you take a second you take a human survival to be second to your cause then you are really hating life itself and being itself meaning you're destroying being because this man wouldn't want to live in a place where there was no proper judgments and his neighbors raped and murdered freely. As well as the environmentalist wouldn't want to live in a place where all farmland was desolate and there was nothing to eat. There was no... There was no... possibility of of just being in an environment without having to ask how am i affecting the environment they wouldn't stop taking flights and driving cars and so on they wouldn't do that they wouldn't want to be in the environments that they propose they actually sat down but they hate themselves so much that they're ready to have the environment be stronger of a value than their own beings or having the the numbers decline of mass incarcerations be more important than having a, a functional society that doesn't have rape and murder in a constant. So there's much to learn from him. Much to learn from her. Much to learn from the Yale University experience, but the the general sense where they're using strong words, strong language, fascist, and proposing comparisons to the gulag. There is something to learn from them. It's what they really want asking what they really want, and that is to understand. What they really want is to understand. They just don't understand anymore. They're not aware anymore, and they're, they're crying for the world to help them understand. Because almost like, I don't want to care about this, but I do. And I don't know why I do, and I don't know why I can't let it go, and I don't know why I don't understand the psyche that I'm embedded with. Although I hate it so much that I can't study it. See, it's the catch-22. The depressed are never told that they need to take responsibility for being depressed and for running their beings because we need to be sensitive to the depressed and we need to help them. So then they stay depressed because they don't believe that they can fix their depression. So it's, it's this catch-22 where there's no end in sight because nobody is ready to stand up and say that I'm going to take charge of my life and, and care enough about my own being to explore truth despite what is being fed to me from society. It's, it's the stopping of being cattle. And the 
opportunity of being of being a person. Now, for these empathetic type of people, the approach is not to become this conservative, right wing, you know, gun loving person. Because they don't they don't live in a world where they see such power as as beautiful and there is goodness in what they have although responsibility of being is a goodness of universal importance if you start letting that go and there's this deep blame game going on and there's no study of why the victim gets what the victim gets and where did that even come from like what why do we even care that the victim should be protected from the oppressor and why do why do we even have compassion as an emotion and why is that a good emotion and just really breaking down the being itself and questioning it further than they have questioned it they will become a powerhouse in their own environments it's not to walk away from yale and start a new movement but rather be in that environment but as he went as he you know sided that with the trump with the with the fact that he saw trump coming like he has a pride in understanding the culture of the other side in a certain sense he has a pride in being a part of that culture if he's proudful of knowing it so it's it's him just developed more more profoundly and he will have to face this choice at some point will i develop further or will i stand in my ground and narrow my view more and more and i think all these people in that environment have that choice it's okay we're in this mosh pit of what would you call it a heart-like views of life and we're going to face a choice at some point where either i'm going to ask the questions at a deeper more profound level and expand my horizon or will i narrow myself in and keep more and more out and my circles become smaller and smaller and my views become more um, deceptive and destructive. There's always deception at play. The question is, are we seeking to get rid of more or are we falling into the trap of further failing at, at what it is to be human? So this is what I learned from this this video and these people and I'll actually pop in a link regarding that and so you could follow along into the into this discussion although it's broader than just this video I think it's it's a great study and that's really something to speak about in general it's not about the information anymore. It's not about the access about information. It's it's in the con it's in the valuing and the co of the content. 
you could watch a movie and have it affect nothing in your life and you could take apart a movie you could take apart a video and really have it embed into every aspect of your life if you analyze and care enough and seek the good and seek the evil seek the meta values within and that could be done with any piece of information although there are more sacred pieces of information and once you become attuned to seeking out the deeper aspects of everything, you will find what is more sacred and you will stick by it more than those that are not sacred, especially in a world where people are proposing sacredness in places that there is not versus sacredness where there is that is truly being ignored and not being appreciated enough. So that's what I leave you off with, that study. And you must go further and find it in your own beings and lives. Thanks for listening. And if you would like to see the video version of this, check out my channel on YouTube.